somewhere in the middle of the ocean, so you're kind of waiting on the emails to come in. This year I was a little bit more on top of it, but a couple years ago I ordered a package and I was a little bit late to get to my Christmas shopping, but I saw something I thought that one of my family members would like, so I ordered the package and it was supposed to arrive right before I left for this trip. And I can remember I needed it to arrive the day before I left. And I was at the house that morning and 8 a.m. came and I woke up and looked outside and there was no package. We got to noon, I looked outside, and there was no package. We got to dinner time and there was no package. And it said on Amazon, supposed to be delivered by 10 p.m. So I waited up until 10 p.m. just hoping that it would arrive. And fortunately, I woke up the next morning to see that they had delivered it sometime in the middle of the night. I don't know if it was Santa or who <laughs> dropped the package off by my house, but I was able to throw it in a bag and bring it to the family gathering that I was going to. As we've looked at Matthew chapter 1, we've seen some events of people looking towards Jesus. We spent some extended time looking at the genealogy in Matthew, the names and the ancestors of Jesus leading us all the way until his birth. We've looked at David and Abraham and Isaac and the women of Jesus' family tree with Ruth and Tamar and all these people that Jesus is descended from, but who also weren't the Messiah. We see in their lives that they weren't all good people. Some of them were sinful people. Some of them were very sinful people. But yet they point us to Jesus and they show us the need for Jesus to come. Now, the next seven or eight verses are at the end of Matthew chapter 1. They describe to us Joseph hearing of this news of Christ's birth. But Matthew only gives us one verse about Christ's coming. In fact, if you look at Matthew chapter 1, 25, verse 25, he only gives us a half of a verse about the coming of Christ. He says, But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. That's it. That's all that Matthew tells us. So if you were just reading Matthew during this time, all you know about the birth of Christ is the genealogy, how Joseph found out, and then that she gave birth to a child and she named him Jesus. But what Matthew chooses to record for us after chapter 1 is the reactions to Jesus' birth. People hearing of his birth and his coming, and then how do they respond? And we want to look at these reactions this morning to the birth of Christ. We're going to see three different people or people groups and how they respond to the birth of Jesus. And this should help us as we celebrate Christmas and as we celebrate Christ's birth this Christmas season to react in the right way, to worship him. It's interesting that in Matthew chapter 2, we see the reaction of the Magi, the wise men. And we've talked a little bit about the wise men before. They were Gentiles who had heard about Christ's birth. And there's a couple of misconceptions about the wise men that we need to be aware of. You'll notice this morning we didn't sing the song, We Three Kings. And there's a reason for that. And I won't go off on a soapbox or anything this morning. But they probably weren't kings. There probably wasn't just three of them. And they probably weren't from the Orient. And so there's a lot of things in that song that might be a little bit thrown off if you were to just take your history from that. But these were Gentiles. They were Magi. And we'll talk about what that means in a moment. And they do come to worship Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 2, they ask, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose... And we have come to worship him. It's interesting that the Magi come onto the scene 
and they want to worship Jesus even while the nation of Israel is not worshiping him. While the Gentiles are paying attention to the birth of Christ, we do not find when he is born celebrations or a triumphal entry or parties. Instead, it's almost overlooked. By the way, Jesus was born in Matthew chapter 1. That's all he says about it for that chapter. So let's look this morning. Our goal is to worship Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah's King. Let's go ahead and look at these three reactions to Jesus' birth. First of all, we want to see an ignorant reaction. An ignorant reaction. And we'll see this in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 2. If you look at verse 1 with me, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Jerusalem, or in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So verse 1 sets up the stage for us to understand the events that happen in chapter 2. It introduces us to three main components that we need to understand. First of all, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, if you know about Christmas, you obviously know about Bethlehem. If you were a Jewish person before this point in history, you probably wouldn't know much about Bethlehem because it was pretty insignificant. In fact, some of you know I was taking a Hebrew class this year. Bethlehem literally translated in Hebrew means house of bread. And when I was translating Ruth, I kept coming across Bethlehem and I would translate it house of bread. My professor said, well, you can just say Bethlehem for that. You don't need to say house of bread. But I didn't even pay attention to the fact that it was an actual city. It's not very well known. It's about five to six miles from Jerusalem. So it's kind of that city that nobody pays attention to because you can just, why go to Bethlehem if you can just go to Jerusalem and do everything that you need to do? But there's two historical facts, there's two biblical facts that we need to understand about Bethlehem. First of all, it's a city that David was born in. So have you ever been to somebody's hometown? Like the hometown that I'm from in Danville, we've got it all across the streets that Dick Van Dyke was born there. And he's just the guy that we all appreciate and love because he was born in Danville. Now, he didn't stay in Danville, and if you've been to that town, you know why. But he did grow up there, and every now and then he'll come back and make an appearance. Bethlehem was known as David's hometown, as the place where he was born. It's also mentioned in Micah chapter 5 as the place where the Messiah would be born. So it's significant for those two reasons. The other or the second piece of background information we get is about Herod the king. Now he's mentioned here, and if you've read the New Testament, the name Herod should sound familiar. They were an important family during this time. He was the ruler of that area. Herod the king here is known as Herod the Great. He was a great leader. He was given power by Rome, but he was known for being oppressive and paranoid. He had 10 wives and he had many sons, but he had many of them put to death because he was afraid that they were going to try to take the throne. Every time one of his sons would start to get old enough, he would get worried that his son was going to take power from him, so he would put him to death. In fact, if you've heard of Caesar Augustus, who was the emperor of Rome during this time, he once said that it was better to be Herod's, Herod's pig than one of Herod's sons, because if you're one of his sons, he would probably kill you. So he was not a nice guy, if you know from history. But he was a gifted politician, warrior, speaker, and builder. He was known for his dominant power there in Judea. And you can imagine what his response is going to be when he hears about the birth of Christ. Now we're lastly introduced to the wise men. 
If you hear me call them magi, that's because that's another word that you can use to describe the wise men. They were a group of men that were sort of like advisors. They would look at the stars, they would study them, they would try to figure out meanings from them. They were from the east. We don't know exactly where they're from. My best guess is that they could be from the land that would be a Babylon at that time or whatever would be left of it during that time. The only other time that Magi are mentioned in scripture is in the book of Daniel. When the king has a dream and he can't figure out what's going on, he calls all the Magi to try to interpret his dream. But eventually Daniel becomes the one who has the wisdom and understanding from the Lord to interpret his dream. Now what's interesting is that in verse 2, the Magi come to Jerusalem, but that's not where Jesus was born, was it? He was born in Bethlehem. So why did they come to Jerusalem? Well, if they are trying to find the king of the Jews, they would probably think that he was born in Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. And so in verse 2, we hear them speak. It says, they came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born? king of the Jews. What's interesting is none of Israel seems to be expecting a Messiah, a king to be born. But these wise men were. They, they said, why are you guys not celebrating? Why are you not talking about the king of the Jews who has been born? And notice why they say this. They said, for we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. They start talking about this star, and maybe you've heard the Christmas story, you've heard mention this star that's talked about. What is so important about this star? Well, there's a biblical reason, and then there's a historical reason. Biblically, there's an Old Testament verse that talks about the star in relation to the Messiah. Numbers 24, 17 says, A star shall come out of Bethlehem, or out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Sheth. So that's really the only reference that we have to a star. And if you were a Jew, you might just be able to find a different interpretation for that. Maybe it's not an actual star. But these wise men seem to be expecting a star. And that could be because historically, when there was a great star in the sky, they believed it signified the birth of a great ruler. Alexander the Great, it was told, or at least it was kind of like a folktale, that when he was born, there was another great star that was in the sky. So these wise men were paying attention to the star, and they follow it to Jerusalem. And notice the reaction to this news in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. That word means disturbed. He was upset. Now, why was Herod upset? Well, like I said, he was paranoid. He was worried. He wants to be in charge. He wants to be the king. He doesn't want anyone questioning his authority. And now all of a sudden you hear about this king of the Jews being born. Herod says, wait a minute, I, I'm the king of the Jews. I'm the one who's in charge. And we know if Herod's willing to kill his sons, he's probably willing to kill this guy as well. But it's not just Herod that was disturbed. It says in all of Jerusalem with him. Now, why were the Jews upset? Well, this could just be referring to their leadership, the people that were in the city. And they were probably disturbed because Herod was disturbed. They knew if he was upset, he was probably going to take it out on them. Have you ever been around someone where if they're having a bad day, everybody's having a bad day because they're upset about something? All of Jerusalem was upset because they knew this wouldn't sit well with Herod. And so in verse 4, Herod decides to take matters into his own hands. He gets down to business. It says, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people... 
he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So he says, you know what? I'm going to gather all these people who should know what these magi are talking about. They gather two groups, the chief priests and the scribes. The priests would teach the law. They would obey the law. They would make sacrifices. The scribes were known for writing down the law of God, but they would also do some teaching as well. So Herod says, you know what? If anybody's going to know where the Messiah is going to be born, it would be these two groups of people. So in verse 5, they start explaining to him what the Magi are talking about. It says, They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, who are no, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd the people of Israel. So the Jews' problem is not that they did not know Scripture. They knew Scripture very well. When they hear about the Messiah, the King of the Jews, they said, well, yeah, it's in Micah. Micah chapter 5 is this reference to Bethlehem and the Messiah being born there. But if you compare these two passages of Micah chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 2, you're going to notice a big difference. In Micah chapter 5, it says, In you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, who are least among the tribes of Israel, here it says, who are by no means least. And so Matthew, as he's quoting Micah, he's emphasizing now that Christ has come. Bethlehem's not insignificant. It is very significant because Christ is born in Bethlehem. And so the rulers know this is what they're talking about. This is the Messiah who has been born, who would come to save people from their sins. But yet the Jewish people, while they knew God's word, their problem was not a knowledge of the Bible. They clearly knew what it was saying about the Messiah. They did not want the Messiah. They did not embrace his coming. We don't see them waiting for the Messiah to come, looking at the signs like the Magi were. The Gentile people knew that Christ was born, but his own people, the Jewish people, did not recognize his coming. And if you study the life of Jesus, this is true of the people of Israel. When he is alive, when he lives on earth and he does his ministry, he heals people. And what do they say? Well, you just have that in the power of Satan. He's the reason why you're able to heal people. When, they, when he teaches, they reject his teaching. When he dies on the cross, they reject him as well. Instead of worshiping him, they put him to death. When he rises from the dead, they say, well, his disciples must have just stolen the body. That's why he's not in the tomb. The Jewish people do not recognize the ministry of the Messiah, the kingship and the lordship of Jesus. So this morning, as we think about the Christmas story and the Christmas season, don't be like the Jewish people. Don't ignore Christ's coming. Recognize what these wise men already knew, and that is that Christ has been born. And you can know that Christ has been born in Scripture, but have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior this morning? Even if you're a Christian this morning, are you getting lost in all the traditions and events and activities that happen during Christmas time? I don't know about you, but Christmas is just always a very busy season. If you think you have a free day, like we kind of thought yesterday was going to be a free day, it wasn't for us. But days that you think you have nothing to do, you have all these things to do to get ready for Christmas and you've got traveling and all of this stuff that can take up all your time. Don't let Jesus, don't let Christmas 
be ignored by all of the activities that are going on. Pay attention to Christ. Focus on the Savior and his birth and what it means for us. Let's look at verse 7 and we'll notice a second reaction to the birth of Jesus. It's an envious reaction. We've seen the reaction of the Jewish people. Now we're going to see the reaction of Herod, what he thinks about what's going on. In verse 7 it says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. So he calls these wise men in secretly. He just wants to talk to them. And he's going to try to trick them, to pull one over on them. He says, when, when did you guys see this star rise? He's trying to figure out if Jesus has already been born. And in verse 8, he sends them to Bethlehem. It says, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I too may come and worship him. So he says, I'm going to get these guys to do my job for me. I'm going to have them go to Bethlehem. He might have sent some supplies with them or some resources. He's like, go find Jesus. And when you find him, come back to me so that I can worship him too. He doesn't tell them what he really plans to do. And we know what Herod plans to do because of what he does later. We know from the rest of the story that the wise men don't come back to Herod. They're warned by God to avoid Herod because of his intentions. We see him react in verse 16 of chapter 2. It says, Then when Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, he became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem that, in all the region that were two years old or under. So Herod's plan all along was to kill the Messiah because the wise men didn't tell him where he was. He says, well, you know what? I'm just going to kill all the toddlers, all the children under age 2 that were male, that way I can eliminate or exterminate Jesus. But we know, obviously, that the plan of God would not be thwarted. Earlier in chapter 2, Joseph gets another dream from God and is told to go to Egypt. He's told to take Jesus there to escape from Herod and his plan. Eventually, after Herod dies, they come back to the region and Jesus lives in Nazareth. What we see here is that Herod could not stop the will of God. He was powerful. He was well-known. He was a great politician, warrior, speaker. But he could not stop God's will for Jesus to be born, for Jesus to live, and eventually, yes, for Jesus to die, but at the right time upon a cross for our sins. Herod does not want to earnestly worship Jesus, despite what he says in verse 8. He wanted to kill Jesus. He was envious of Jesus. His heart was filled with envy and jealousy and pride. He's deceptive in his intentions. And let the story of Herod be a lesson for us as well. Not that I think any of us are going to act like Herod. But this guy's so consumed with his own power and his own pride and his own success that he does not realize the significance of Jesus' birth. Unfortunately, sometimes Christmas can be a time of selfishness, not just with gifts and children like we often think, but with time and with family and with money and with goals that we have around this time of year. We start thinking about how do we want our lives to be different next year? What things do we want to do? We all go on diets, right? And the gyms fill up because we want to try to be a different person, a better me. We look out for our desires. 
And why is that? Because we look at the last year and we think things didn't go quite like I wanted it to. But the truth is, without Jesus, we will have no contentment. Without Jesus, the rest of our lives will be spent without hope. So we can worship Jesus this morning and find our contentment and find our rest in him. Let's notice a final reaction to Christ's birth in verse 9. We'll see a reverent reaction. A reverent reaction. In verse 9 it says, And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So they're following the star and it comes to rest over Jesus and his house. And upon seeing the house in verse 10, it says, And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So they've not even entered the house yet. They just see that it's moving, that it's leading them to the house. And they begin to get excited. They begin to become overwhelmed with joy because they're going to see the Savior. In verse 11, it says, And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Now, we know the story of Christmas. We know how Christmas goes. And by the way, the wise men came later, probably at least a few months, if not a year after Christ was born. So if you have a nativity scene, you need to put the wise men a couple feet away from the rest of the nativity scene because of when they came. But imagine being in that room, being Jesus' parents, and you've got this toddler who's just been born. And these wise men, who probably were dressed in royal robes, and they had these gifts, and they had a lot of people maybe with them, they come into your house, and instead of talking to you, introducing themselves, instead of looking at the child and saying how cute he is, or whatever else they could do, they immediately fall down and start worshiping your child. Can you imagine that? What that scene must have been like. These people that were had high authority and high power, fall down immediately when they see Jesus. You probably would think they look a little ridiculous doing that. But yet, they recognize the significance of what is going on with Jesus' birth. They recognize that this is the Messiah. After they worship him, they bring gifts. It says they open their treasures and they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And there's a lot said about what these gifts are and what they represent. Some people say that gold is given to him because he's a king, frankincense for his worship, and myrrh because of the cross he would suffer. And I think it's interesting to think of the gifts in this way, but I would encourage you to not get so caught up in what each gift is and what it could mean, but to focus on the fact that they worship Jesus and they gave him the best that they had the things that were the most precious, the things that were costly to him because they wanted to worship Christ. And by the way, these were people you wouldn't expect to go find Jesus. They weren't Jewish people. They weren't people who lived in the town. They were from a great distance. Yet they're the only ones really in this chapter that understand the significance of what's happening. As we mentioned earlier, they don't tell Herod about Jesus They are warned in a dream not to in verse 12. Instead, they go on their own way. And we don't hear about what happened to the Magi. Isn't that something you wonder? 
Where did they go after that? Did they just go back home? Did they ever come back and visit Jesus later? But the truth is, we don't need to know. Maybe it's a question we can ask in heaven. But for our lives right now, we don't need to know what happened to the Magi. They've served their purpose. They point us to the worship of Christ. And so as a response to what Jesus has done for us, as a response to the fact that Christ has been born, will you worship him this morning? Will you put aside all your distractions? Will you put aside all of the things that can take away our focus from him? And will you worship Jesus? And while you may not have gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, will you make sacrifices for him with your life? Will you devote your life to his service? And recognize this morning the significance of Christ. Not just of a baby born in a manger, not just of Mary who was pregnant or Joseph and how he was a poor carpenter. And don't just focus on the singing angels or the shepherds watching their sheep or the magi. Don't focus just on a Christmas story or Christmas parties or the Christmas season, but focus on Jesus. The fact that he was born so that we could be saved from sin. The fact that Mary, yes, was a virgin who conceived so that she could give hope to the world. The fact that Joseph, who was a poor carpenter and who was probably confused out of his mind, had the faith to trust God so that he could be the human father of a child so that the heavenly father could show his love to the world. You can pay attention to the fact that the angels sing because they recognize that the plan of God has come and that Jesus has been born and that what they've been waiting for throughout history is finally coming to be. Recognize that the magi, the wise men, give gifts to Jesus because he's the king and he's worthy of everything that we can give. And so rejoice this morning. Worship Jesus. We've sang songs today. We've sang so many hymns that my voice is starting to go out. We want to worship Jesus and his birth. The fact that he's come to the world. But do not miss this morning the reason why Jesus has come. And it's not just because it's a cool story. It's because of what he would do later for us as well. This morning, it's not just significant for us to celebrate Jesus' birth. It's also significant for us to celebrate his death on the cross. We don't often associate Jesus' death with Christmas, but in communion, we often take time to think about our own lives, our own fellowship with God, our relationship with him, how we're doing in our spiritual walk, and we also reflect on Christ's death. That he was born so that he could die. And so as we think about communion, and before we come and take of different elements that help us remember communion this morning, ask yourself some of the following questions as you take time to reflect. First of all, is your attention focused on Jesus? There's a lot going on. You may be thinking about all the parties you have over the next couple days and Maybe the last minute shopping you have to do, hopefully that's not true. Or the things that you need to remember to take with you as you're traveling. 
But take some time and focus on Jesus. I was reading a book this week, and I was really convicted because it talked about the necessity of silence just in the Christian life. And I realized that I'm never really silent. I mean, if you're talking and you guys say, yeah, you talk a lot, you're never really silent. Or I'm listening to something, whether it's music or a podcast or a video, or I'm reading something and trying to intake information. But I don't just take time to be silent. And why don't I like to do that? Because when you're silent, you have to think and reflect. You can take time in silence to pray and to meditate, to reflect on God and who He is. This Christmas season, take just five minutes. Find time in your day to reflect on Jesus and what He's done for you. And see how that improves your opinion of Him and just the significance of Him this Christmas season. Secondly, focus your desires on Christ. Make sure that the things you want, the things that you need are, are focused on Him. There's a lot of great things you can receive for Christmas from people. There's a lot of great things that you can give. There's good times with family and friends and fellowship. But it's the thing that you want most, Christ. You say, well, how do I know that? How do I check my desires? Ask yourself some questions. What do I spend the most time thinking about? What do people always hear me talking about? What is truly the thing that is closest to my heart? What did I go to bed thinking about last night? What's the thing that I woke up this morning and started thinking about? Am I truly reflecting on Jesus? What, what do I give the most time to? Do I just say, well, Jesus can have my Sunday morning and maybe one night through the week or one Bible study? Or do you give Jesus time? Do you focus your desires on Him? And finally, will your heart worship Jesus this morning? We worship Him, not just through singing and not just through being at church, not just through prayer, but with your life. When people look at you, will they see a heart that wants to worship and serve Christ? Be like the wise men this morning who came from a faraway land, who put away all the distractions, who came at great personal sacrifice and risk to themselves for one reason— they said, we want to worship Jesus.